The coaching dominoes fall in Boston College's favor, new leadership in the Pac-12 and at Arizona. This is the College Game Day podcast for Tuesday, February 20th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. And throughout this offseason of college football, we are spending some time when the opportunity presents itself to visit with various coaches, one of whom is uh, quite familiar to college football fans and fans in the NFL, Bill O'Brien, who most recently, offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots, but also offensive coordinator at Alabama for about a minute and a half, I think, the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, uh, along a successful, uh, more successful than people realize as a head coach, particularly at the Houston Texans. Uh, I think won four division championships twice, lost in the playoffs to the eventual Super Bowl champion. So now he is back in a very familiar area, Pete, at, as the head coach at Boston College. And, and you got a chance. I, I haven't, uh, you got a chance to go over and speak with him earlier um, today. And I guess I'll confess because we try to be transparent on the podcast. You you did this by going over there and th- that part of the podcast today is recorded in advance. I was able to receive a transcript of that of that interview and it was a, a fascinating conversation that that you had with bill how did i do did i ask good open-ended uh questions reese you did, did. You feel, always did you feel like it was uh, okay good I, i'll run uh, it by i'll run it by the legendary john sawatsky i'll send him the transcript and i'll ask him what he thinks of your questions yeah, if there's a red line any red line updates i'd like to uh, i'd like to try to get better for the next one but uh you know it, when I went over to to see Bill last week, the this was my like prevailing takeaway. When you have a couple of days to digest it, it was watching him. I, I bumped into him before the presser when I went to see some of the coaches, and then watching him at the press conference after shaking hands, and then de- dealing with some some media things uh, moving forward. It was just a, like a feeling of this guy knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? There was never there was never a moment of uncertainty. He knew what to say, when to say it. Um, and, you know, really, he had a nice cadence to his remarks. He had to thank a ton of people and sort of just like realize he couldn't just like read it off like a phone book. He, he, there was just like he had like a nice uh, a, a nice way about him. And uh, there was just sort of a, a, a sense of purpose with everything he did. He didn't need somebody pointing him around what to do. He just went and did it. And uh, it was like, yeah, that guy's been a head coach for, you know, nine nine seasons you know it just he's he is not going to encounter anything at boston college that he hasn't seen as a head coach and it was just a it was like yep they hired a pro they hired a guy who knows what he's doing and i i think that you know the the other thing that stood out was from an inside football which i think a lot of our listeners are are, are curious about was they're really going to support him there i mean they went and got florida's strength coach uh, Craig Fitzgerald, who's one of Bill's best friends, and he's been with him for a while. And again, strength coach hires could certainly, you know, have some eyes roll and some people, uh, some people hit fast forward on the podcast. But I really think they are going to let Bill O'Brien build the staff the way he wants, and they are going to support him. Um, and, and they are now moving their salary pool to the upper half of the ACC, which BC had always been one of the lowest resource programs. They had always lagged behind places like Wake Forest, for example, had really leapt in front of them facilities and such. So it was a it was a prevailing feeling leaving there of they hired the right guy. He knows what he's doing and they are going to support him to be good. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're here with new Boston College coach Bill O'Brien. Uh, just finished his press conference uh, after being introduced, after being hired about a week ago. Uh, I think the thing that stood out, Bill, was all the connective tissue between you, your family, and this institution. Can you just right. walk us through some of those ties that made this job so attractive to you? Yeah, absolutely. So number one would be my wife, Colleen, yeah. uh, a proud 1992 graduate of Boston College. She actually spent a ton of time in County Forum. Uh, as a work-study uh, student, so she spent a lot of time with hockey and basketball and football and all that, so that's number one. And then, obviously, I have a sister-in-law, I have several cousins. I have a lot of people that, that are connected to Boston College that graduated from Boston College. I have a grandfather that went to Boston College Law School, so there's a lot. There's a lot of connection, and you're right. That, that's uh, one of the reasons why it made it such a good fit for our family. Yeah, and you'll you'll be having to get a lot of tickets, I would oh, think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, they will they will provide me with some tickets. <laughs> um, when you when you take a look at this job holistically, you talked about your road yeah. here and how when you left Brown in 1993, yep. this was a place you wanted to go. Yep. Uh, can you just reflect a little bit on that on that road and how prepared you feel to take this job now, maybe as opposed to other points in your career? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think growing up here, when you when you grew up in the era that I grew up in, we, it was the heyday of Boston College football. And and I'm not trying to live in yesteryear, but that's where your love of BC, my love of BC, came from. Mm -hmm. And it, and it stayed with me my whole career. And in, at, at certain points and times in my career, this job came open, but it wasn't the right time. Mm -hmm. And this, this time, uh, really, again, like I said, appreciate Ryan Day's patience with, with this, but this was really a good time for me to, to take this job. And, to, and it was a long process. Mm -hmm. It was a diligent process that, uh, that BC went through to find their coach. And I, I feel like uh, very honored to be the mm -hmm. head coach here, and I'm looking forward to, to getting going. So growing up in Andover, did you come down to games? Was that like a normal part yeah. of you? I just told uh, I told a story in, in 19, I think it was Flutie's either freshman or sophomore year. My dad was really good friends with a guy named Larry Eisenhower, who okay. they were in business together. And Larry played here, was a great D lineman mm -hmm. here, also played for the Patriots. But anyways, he invited us to, they played Holy Cross here. Huh. And if they won the game, which they did, they qualified for the Tangerine Bowl. <laughs> you remember the Tangerine Bowl? I do. I do. I was like 13 or 14 years old. So they, they beat Holy Cross, and everybody started throwing tangerines on the <laughs> on the field and that's my really my first vivid memory okay. of Boston College football and then from there you know saw the Flutie to fail and pass and all those sure. different things obviously but uh, that was my first real memory so St. John's prep I imagine BC was aspirational for you yeah. uh, as a as a player and then later as a coach yeah that's another story so um, when I when I went to St. John's prep obviously loving BC and having aspirations of playing at BC. Wasn't quite good enough to play at BC. I went to Brown, but I had a close friend who was actually here today named Mike Panos sure. who, who played here for Coach Coughlin, and he was being recruited. 
actually by Coach McNell at the time. And so we would tag along on some of the recruiting visits. And, <laughs> and, and you know, that was another, uh, you know, real memory of mine, just coming down sure. here and being a part of what his recruitment was pretty cool. Yeah, it was probably all seemed pretty big at the time, right? It did. You it know, did. the stadium it seemed did. big, it college did. campus, it those did. kinds of things. Yep. Very, uh, yep. very cool. Well, you spoke uh, very specifically about the identity that you want your team to have. And yep. I think it goes back to Coach Coughlin and yep. it goes back to Coach Bicknell. Mm -hmm. What will Boston College football look like under Bill O'Brien? Yeah, I, I think that Boston College football has to has to look like this. I, I think it has to be a team. And, and by the way, the guys that are here right now, and we just got done in, in this facility right here with a 6.30 a.m. workout. Mm -hmm. These guys are working hard. This is a good-looking football team right here right now, and we need to build on that. Sure. But But we need tough guys. We need guys that care about getting a good education. Mm -hmm. We need guys that understand, you know, what it means to play here mm -hmm. in this great city. Uh, we need to get guys on campus, sell the city, sell the campus, mm -hmm. sell what we're all about. And I think if we do that and we target the right guys, we'll have a good football team. And we got to, all these jobs take a lot of work. Sure. Like you have to work at it. We yeah. have to be organized and we have to be diligent the way we go about our work. But, you know, it can be done. You mentioned building a wall around New England. Yeah. Uh, you obviously, your first marquee hire was Craig Fitzgerald, your strength coach. Yeah. Is this a developmental program at its core, Bill? Is that what BC needs to be? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's one of the things w w this staff is, the staff that, that we're assembling is a staff filled with good developmental coaches, guys that know how to develop players, that have been in programs that develop players. You know, I was just telling somebody, when you watched the Super Bowl the other day, you know, there, there are two quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, awesome quarterbacks, mm -hmm. but one's from Texas Tech and one's from Iowa State. So there are great players out there yeah. uh, across the country. We need to do a good job of identifying who they are, target mm -hmm. them, and, and do a good job of getting them here to campus and sell what we're all about. Since you mentioned quarterbacks, uh, you've already taken to calling Thomas Castellanos Tommy, yeah. right? much like you called Tom Brady Tommy for yeah, all yeah. the years. You were, in, you were in New England. It's easy uh, for me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, just, again, you haven't studied his film, and you've probably seen him in shorts for, for, for yeah. five days, but is he an exciting prospect to, to, to work with? He's obviously a dual-threat guy who's been really productive. Absolutely. He's been a lot of fun to get to know. He's been in my office a few times already and uh, really enjoyed talking to him. You know, yes, very exciting. He can do a lot of different things. He can throw the ball. We're going to throw the football. Um, obviously, his his legs and what he can do in the running game is is very very good. But I think he's a passer. I've watched him out here a few times here and, and throw the football. And he's very competitive. He wants to win. He's got really good leadership qualities, and uh, I'm really looking forward to working with him. Yeah. So behind me are all BC's first round picks. Uh, a large proportion of them are offensive linemen. That's this right. was O-line you for a stretch. I'm sure yeah. when you were in the NFL, you coached. I saw Dan Cope in there today yeah. there and, yeah. and developed a, a lot of BC O-linemen. Yeah. Uh, how important is that to the identity of this team and the current team you inherited? Can you speak a little bit to what you've seen out of the O-line talents? So yeah, no far? doubt. I think, you know, I think really this place will always be about the line of scrimmage yeah. on both sides of the ball, but uh, specifically to the offensive line, you do. You see all these great names back here uh, behind you, and, and this this is a place that that can be and mm -hmm. has been offensive line. You, yeah. And so I think that we have to do a good job of recruiting to that. Um, the the line that's here right now, I've been very impressed with. You know, obviously you have Ozzy Trapillo, mm -hmm. uh, Drew Kendall. Their dads played here. Were legendary players yeah. here. Uh, and and those, those guys take a lot of pride in playing. Sure. It. But there's other guys. There there's guys like Jude Bowery, Logan uh, Logan Taylor that I think could be really good players for mm -hmm. us. And uh, looking forward to working with these guys. There's probably 16 of them, I think, on scholarship. Oh, wow. So, yeah, a good amount of guys, and, and they're all they're all working hard and, and really eager to get going. Yeah. So 
Well, rewind back to the local ties a little bit. Yep. Um, when you had taken the Ohio State job, yep. Colleen, your wife, and your family had decided to stay here. Yep. Uh, you live in the, in the suburbs here. Um, I'm just wondering if you can speak to the, the pull of family coming home, just the serendipity of this job opening at the time that it did and allowing you yeah. to, to be with your family day in and day out. Yeah, it was huge, Pete. Yeah. I think that the, the, you know, the fact that this job opened up, what this place is about, how, how special this place can be, and then obviously being from here and mm -hmm. your family's here and my son yeah. goes to Tufts and you know, uh, my, my wife Colleen with my oldest son Jack and mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people know his story sure. and, and uh, you, you know, kind of dealt a bad hand yeah. in life and, sure. and she's his primary care, caretaker. Mm -hmm. So to, to have this job co come open and to be able to be the head football coach here and really not have to mm -hmm. move, that's really uh, an important part of this too and uh, really fortunate that that mm -hmm. happened that way and, and looking forward to, to, to living here and sure. being here and being a part of the community. Yeah. So for the viewers that don't know, Jack has a rare genetic disorder right. uh, that requires significant medical care. He's right. been getting at children's, you know, I guess right. there was a, a window between 07 and 12 when you were here. Yeah. You, you just walk me through a little bit of the care available here for him and, and just kind of why your family came back a little bit when he came to the Patriots and wanted to replant their roots here. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you asking that question. So, yeah, Jack's 21 years old because mm -hmm. he yeah. primarily because he has a, a, a great... Uh, a great mom and Colleen that yeah. takes great care of him. My my in-laws, Donnie mm -hmm. and Claire, are, are a huge part of that, too. And, you know, he was. He was dealt a bad hand in life. And when he was born, I was actually at the University of Maryland, mm -hmm. and that's where he was diagnosed at Johns Hopkins. Yep. As we moved uh, over time, especially in Houston sure. and in Massachusetts, some of the best people we ever met are the doctors, the nurses that have been involved, the, the physical therapists, the occupational mm -hmm. therapists that have been involved with taking care of Jack. And, and really, you know, to be back here sure. to where a lot of those people were here when he was younger, mm -hmm. when I was with the Patriots before, that was a really meaningful time in our life. And sure. that was meaningful for Jack. So, you know, that's been a really added, obviously, huge part of this, too, to be able to be here and be reunited with those people. You got choked up talking about Colleen in, in your presser. You yeah. thanked a lot of people, but your voice caught very clearly. Uh, could you just reflect a little bit on her role in your journey to, to, to get here, Bill? And there has to be a nice, uh, a nice serendipity that it is a homecoming for her, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think anybody that's a coach, um, I always tell young coaches when they start dating, you know, these guys are just out of college and they're, hey, I want to be a coach. And, you know, then you see them, hey, I have a date on a Friday night. If that's somebody that you're, you're really interested in continuing with, you better make sure because a coach's <laughs> wife is a very special person mm -hmm. and Colleen is a very special person and she's a, a, the most important part of my life. Um, she's been with me every step of the way. She gives me great advice. She tells me when I screw up. She tells me when <laughs> things are going good. She's very honest. Uh, she knows a lot about football. Mm -hmm. She's seen a lot of football. Sure. Sometimes she gets sick of football, <laughs> but she's, she's raised our family, you know, because mm -hmm. as a coach, and especially a lot of the jobs that I've had, mm -hmm. you're not around all the time. Yeah. And so uh, I owe everything to Colleen and, and, and to be back here where she went to school and sure. to be the head coach here and for her to be back in this community is a big deal. Yeah. So for this football program in this NIL era, yep. engaging the local community, reaching out to the alumni. People give, there's donors, but yep. it's almost like a new bucket that has that yep. has formed here. Yep. You obviously saw two years of how Nick Saban handled it at yep. Alabama. How do you feel like the community can rally through some of your connections, your family connections, yep. just living here, the Patriots connections, to help energize BC to really maximize the NIL space? Yeah, it's, it's huge. We, we have to be a part of the NIL landscape. Mm -hmm. are, are we going to be the biggest part of it? No, that's not what we are. Mm -hmm. but. But I do think we have a ton of successful people mm -hmm. that care about this football program that either played here or maybe they didn't play here, but they went to school here and they mm -hmm. care about seeing a winning football program. And we have to do a good job of structuring it the right way. We're mm -hmm. in the process of, you know, doing that right now. 
um, you know, there has to be a, a, a structure to it, a tiered mm -hmm. system to it. Sure. You know, you got to be careful about how you set it up mm -hmm. relative to who gets what. And so these kids have a right to be paid based mm -hmm. on their name, image, and likeness. And, and I think it's important for us to for the people that donate that they understand how we're doing it yeah so that's going to be a, a task for us that we've attacked right away we're not ready to kind of lay it out yet but mm -hmm. we will be soon and we'll be a part of that but that's really not going to be the be-all and end-all mm -hmm. you know we'll have to be in that world but at the end of the day this place is about good football great academics being a part of the community and i think we can win doing it that way Every coaching career has important kind of pivot points, right? Uh, mile markers you look back at. When I've always looked back at your career, the decision to leave Duke, where you're the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach in 06, yeah. and go to the Patriots for a job that you describe as a grunt, it would probably be a little bit more than that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you, you you gave up a, a you know a prestigious position at an ACC school to yeah. go you know bet on yourself. Yeah. Uh, have you reflected on that at all? That like the best yeah. paid off. We all we all know that. Yeah. But just your road doesn't happen without that choice. I'm wondering if you can reflect back on it a little bit and how it got you here. Yeah, you're you're right. I think there's two times in my career. Um, um, sometimes I don't always like talking. I really don't enjoy talking about myself. But I do think for younger coaches, there there were there were two times in my career. One was when I left Brown. I went to Georgia Tech and worked yep. for George O'Leary. I, I owe George O'Leary a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I met Ralph Friedgen there. Sure. I met you know Doug Marone there. Some of the best coaches I've ever been around were there. And, the softies. And, the, <laughs> and, and that meant a lot to my career. I learned a lot of football. I didn't know anything about football. I thought I did, and then I went there. Um, and then you're right. Like So I was at Duke, and you know it was a beautiful place, a great place. And Duke has done a lot better since we all since we left Duke <laughs> with Coach Cutcliffe and, and the way they, they won there. But there was, a, there was an opportunity that Bill uh, presented to me to, to come be a part of a, a, an incredible organization. And I went to the Patriots, and I worked for Bill, and I worked mm -hmm. closely with Josh McDaniels, and that's where I, I learned another level of football, and I can mm -hmm. never repay those guys. They sure. taught me a lot. Uh, they're close friends, and, and I owe them a lot. But, yeah, those were two moves that were very important to me in my career. And I, if memory serves, you met Bill through Jason Light. I did, yeah. He so, was the, uh, an area scout at the time, right? Yeah, Jason was an area scout. He had, like, the ACC and the SEC, and yeah. he lived in Atlanta. And Colleen and I lived in a little condo, you know, sure. right outside of uh, uh, Georgia Tech. And, and he was kind of like a neighbor, so he would come by the school, sure. and then maybe we'd go grab a beer later on at night, and, and we'd talk a lot. And he was an awesome guy, mm -hmm. and he's, one of, he's a great friend of mine now. But, sure. yeah, I, I do believe he probably maybe kind of put my name in the, in the bucket there mm -hmm. in New England and helped me kind of get a foot in the door, no doubt about it. You're sitting here because of all the experiences that have shaped your career, mm -hmm. and I would think of all of them, Penn State had to be the most challenging and probably transformative yeah. just in terms of shaping you as a head coach. Yeah. Reflect back a little bit on the challenges you faced. You mentioned Fitz today being yeah. a huge linchpin in, yeah. in, in helping keep that place together. And what, what were the lessons learned from there? That, that's, an, that's an awesome question because I thought about that a lot last night. Um, Penn State meant a lot to me. You know, when we went to Penn State, it was a terrible time. We don't need to revisit that. But what we were probably the first team that really had to experience the portal sure. because when the sanctions came out the guys at Penn State mm -hmm. they could go and go anywhere they wanted that team that was taking them could go above 84 just to make or 85 just to make room for them yeah. so we had to recruit our own yeah. team and I'll never forget that and and the same thing is true here relative to the type of people that played here the type of people that came out to help us at Penn State mm -hmm. um, you, you know alums all over the place sure. you know some of my my best friends Matt Millen as a great friend of mine, you know, helped us keep that, that place together. And what I learned was we had great kids there, 
very similar to what we have here right now. Mm -hmm. Love football, love their school. We had a really good coaching staff. Craig Fitzgerald mm -hmm. was instrumental in helping me keep that place together. And, and I think at the end of the day, like, what I learned about that place was how important the team was. Mm -hmm. Some guys left, but the guys that stayed were very much into the team aspect of things. They were good kids. They loved to practice, and they, they, they were proud to play for their institution. And that's the same thing relative to what we have here at Boston College. If, if memory serves, didn't some, like, rival program send their whole staffs to campus? Like yeah, it we, was... I remember. I don't I mean, yeah. I've been doing this. I'll tell you. So we, we, we uh I remember when the sanctions came out, Fitz had a lifting group. Yep. We used to lift in two groups. And when we walked out, or the kids walked out of the first AM lifting group, there was Illinois. <laughs> there was Illinois. Nine Illinois coaches in the parking lot, <laughs> you know, waiting to recruit our kids. Nothing Tim against Beckman, right? Brett, not Brett Bilma, yeah, not that Tim Illinois, Beckman, but, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, back then. So, yeah. like, yeah. And there were other schools. And then there were the guys that did it right, yeah. the Nick Sabins. The Kirk Ferences who called you and said, "Hey, we might take a look at this guy." Mm -hmm. Those, those yeah. are the best coaches, right? They sure. did it the right way, and uh, but it was it was an interesting time. I have a very specific memory of Lane Kiffin at Pac-12 Media Day. <laughs> he was at USC at the time. Yeah. He he did his whole Media Day speech saying, "All we need is a tailback. Yeah. All we need is yeah. a tailback." Silas and he was Red. trying to get Silas Red. Yeah. And I love uh, Silas Red, and we yeah. we've since spoken, Silas yeah. and I. But um, yeah, that was that was a that was a very very interesting time where. Like guys like me and Fitz learned mm -hmm. a lot about. It's not exactly the same, but yeah. kind of what this era is about right now. Sure. Well, I think engaging and energizing the community and the That's base right. are transferable. Things. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. No doubt. Obviously, from there you go to the Houston Texans yeah. and have uh, a run. I believe four playoff appearances in six seasons, two playoff yeah. wins. Um, you you eventually get some personnel, which which is now a transferable yeah. skill. The way the way college football works. So walk yeah. me through your Texans tenure and, and how you evolved as a coach. Yeah, no, Bob McNair uh, hired me in 2014, mm -hmm. and I'll always be grateful grateful for that. I mean, we um, we had some really good teams yeah. there. Um, you know, we had some great players, J.J. Watt. Um, Jadavian Clowney, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson. I mean, we had some great teams there. We didn't really get to where we wanted to get mm -hmm. to uh, because of a series of events that happened. You know, I ended up having the general manager title. Looking back on that, that's really not who I am. I'm, yeah. I'm a coach, and, you know, uh, that's what I do well is I coach. And so probably took a little bit too much on my plate, mm -hmm. and uh, it didn't end very well. But, but we had a good run sure. there. D'Amico's doing an unbelievable job there. He's done a great job there. And they got C.J. Stroud there, and he's doing a great job. And Nick Casario running, mm -hmm. the, running the organization. But I'm always very grateful for my time in Houston. You know, people don't always agree with how that, 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 uh, that tenure went for me. Mm -hmm. But I think we were very successful there. It just didn't end well. We, didn't, we made some mistakes that didn't, didn't end us very well. Sure. I've talked to a lot of fired college coaches who return. I'm sorry, fired NFL coaches yeah. who returned to college. You, yeah. you saw it with Pete Carroll early in my yeah. career. Just We had Matt Rule on our podcast this yeah. week. He talked about the lessons learned. And what I've learned from those guys is that they, they take, you're doing football you know, 18 hours a day. Yeah. There's no recruiting. There's no alum. There's no anything else. And they really come back much more ready to, to run an organization. Yeah. I'm curious how much more prepared you feel today than maybe you did in uh, 2012 when you walked into State College. Way more prepared. You know, I, I don't think there's any substitute for experience. You know, when you experience all the different things that sure. I've experienced, you know, you learn how to, uh, you know, listen better. You, mm -hmm. you learn how to not be in such a rush that, you know, you don't have to get something done within five. You know, take your time to think about things. I think I've learned a lot about that. I've learned about not rushing to mm -hmm. put together a staff, you know, put together the staff that's the right staff for Boston mm -hmm. College. I've learned how to 
do an opening. Pre- I remember the Penn State opening press conference. I thought I was going to pass out. I was so nervous. <laughs> I was certainly nervous today, but not quite as nervous as I was in 2012. So, yeah, you learn from experience and from doing things, and you learn a lot from your mistakes. And, sure. and, and I think I can bring that wisdom to BC and help BC be better. Yeah, there was a lot of Patriots verbiage used today in, in, the, in your press conference. Situational football, yeah. toughness, a lot of things. Yeah. You know, living in Boston, we've heard Bill Belichick say yeah. for 20 for 20 plus years. Reflect on your time there. You had some very poignant comments about Bill in your press conference. How yeah. grateful you are to him. Just like how how will the Patriot way impact the BC way? Yeah, I, I think there's some things that I learned um, in New England from Bill and, and the guys that I was around. I'm not, I mean, Pete, like I've been really fortunate. I've coached some of the best players to ever play the mm-hmm. game. You know, I coached Tom Brady. I'm so grateful for that. He's yeah. such an awesome guy and an awesome player. And, you know, I coached Rob Gronkowski. You know, I, I coached Randy Moss, Wes Welker, Dan Copen, Matt Light. Um, you know, all these guys that, that helped Dion Branch. I mean, I can list them all. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I learned a lot from great players, and I learned a lot about what a standard was, you mm-hmm. know. And, and I think the standard in New England at that time was, you know, we're going pl- to be smart. We're going to line up correctly. We're not going to jump off sides. Uh, we're going to communicate in a clear, concise manner. Uh, we're going to be knowledgeable of situations. Uh, we're going to practice those situations, and we're going to complement each other on the field. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that was a really uh, true winning model for us that we all learned from Bill, and then the players carried it out on the field. And so I, I, I have a strong belief in that. I have a strong belief in that's how you win, you know, win football games. Well, Matt Ryan is over your shoulder here. Uh, um, Good quarterback play wins football games. It's it's not a secret. And despite uh, this being a billion-dollar industry, quarterback development and projection remains one of the most vexing things to all these billionaire owners and all these people running college football programs. Uh, Between Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, and obviously having Bryce Young as a Heisman uh, winner at Alabama, and there's other great quarterbacks, too. You coach Joe Hamilton. I mean, we can go go on and on. Mm -hmm. Just... How do you now, uh, later in your career, view quarterback development, and what are some things you've learned from those great quarterbacks you've, you've worked with that'll apply here? Yeah, I've learned, I've learned a ton. I mean, Matt McGloin at Penn State, sure. who was a walk-on at yeah. Penn State, that that ended up being, I think, uh, the Big Ten Offensive Player of the mm-hmm. Year in the year he played for us, and played six years in the NFL. So yeah. I, there's been all kinds of quarterbacks sure. that I've learned. Ryan Fitzpatrick texted me the other day. How about that? You know, I just think that. The one thing about the quarterback position is, as I've learned over mm-hmm. time, is you have to get to know the person mm-hmm. as a person because it's such an important position. Who is the person? What is their skill set? What do they like to do? Mm-hmm. What are they good at doing? What are they, maybe they're not so good at? Can you improve that? But you can't just try to, you know, hey, this is the way to do it. This, you have yeah. to observe them. Sure. Hey, this is something that, that these guys are really good at. These are some things they're, they're not so good at. Let's try to improve those things and see what we can do to form our offense around that guy. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to do with Tommy, uh, you, you know, and the other quarterbacks here. We're mm-hmm. going to make sure we do the what's right by them and their skill set. It'll be a quarterback-centered offense, but that's what I learned. You know, there's so many different characteristics that make up a great quarterback, and I've been so fortunate. Sure. You know, Bryce Young, you know, the most recent great guy that I coached in college was Bryce Young. Sure. And, you know, he won the Heisman Trophy. He was a brilliant guy and, mm-hmm. and, and really could see things. And he was like a point guard out there. Mm-hmm. And I uh, learned a lot from him. So, you know, but he wasn't six foot five. Sure. So we learned how to, you know, do some things that took advantage of his skill set. And that's what we'll try to do here. You, you were very careful to not uh, overset expectations uh, in, in, in yeah. your press conference. I certainly, uh, no. no no one sees uh, annual CFP dominance coming here, but yeah. there is there is an expectation and a standard that you're you're clearly going to set. Yeah. Um, w- walk me through 
maybe what success could look like here in, in upcoming seasons, Bill? Yeah, look, I think we, we have to go out there and, and, and do our very best to win every single game. We, mm -hmm. we will, losing will never be accepted here. Sure. But, you know, to think that we're going to go out there and be in the Final Four every year, yeah. like, you know, that, that's probably not realistic. But, yeah. you know, look, you do a great job recruiting. Mm -hmm. you, you, you get the right guys. Mm -hmm. you, you get a great quarterback. And, and you catch lightning in a bottle. Anything can happen. Sure. But in the meantime, we have to do a good job of embracing who we are. Yeah. We're a team that's going to be tough. We're a team that's going to go to class, and we're a team that's going to be involved in the community. And I think if, if we do that and we keep recruiting to that, that type of standard, I think, I think we'll win a lot of football games. We're going to have a little fun here wrapping up. What's your favorite Tom Brady story? Like what's the one you go to at a, at a dinner party or something? That, that I have a tell? ton of Tom Brady stories. <laughs> but one of my, I just told this one to the uh, quarterbacks here. Tom, Tom Brady, as everyone knows, is a great player and a great person and all that. He's got an incredible memory. Hmm. So one, one day we were sitting there, I forget what year it was, it was kind of early in my time coaching him, and we were playing the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills, I think Dick Geron was the head coach, and we were talking about a play. And Tom said, yeah, we ran that play. This was probably 2009 or mm -hmm. 10. Yeah. So he said, yeah, we ran it. It was a play called, you know, Crunch Stock. You know, yeah, we ran Crunch Stock. Yeah, we ran that uh, in 2002. We ran that against when Dick Geron was the defensive coordinator for some other team. And we hit Troy Brown on a cross. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, we're in a meeting. And I'm like, two, it's 2000. This was, so he's talking about eight years ago. So I said, what do, you, what do you mean you ran it? Into, yeah, it was the third play of the game. We were on our own 30-yard line. We were going away from the lighthouse. I think it was on the right hash. We were in a left-handed formation. And, yada, and I said, get out of here. There's no way that, that, <laughs> that you remember that play to that exactness. Like, no way. He's like, look it up. And you, know, you could go on the video system sure. and yeah. go to 2002. Mm -hmm. Go to the third play of, I forget who it was, might have been the Bears, whatever team it was. Go to the third play of that game. The ball's on the 30-yard line. They're going away from the lighthouse. He hits Troy Brown on crunch stock on a cross. I was like, I don't think it'll be hard to ever see a Tom Brady ever again in football. I mean, sure. his memory, his competitiveness, his leadership, his personality, who he is as a guy. But that's one of my favorite stories about Tom Brady. His memory was unbelievable. Sure. Do you <laughs> chuckle at the Mahomes debate? Because he's still a Look, I, I love Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when, when he was coming out in the draft, that's the draft in Houston where we drafted Deshaun sure. Watson, and we yeah. love both those guys. Yeah. And uh, Patrick is just an incredible guy. He plays the game very calmly. The game comes very easy to him mm -hmm. in, uh, on an instinct level. Obviously, he's, he's joined up with one of the greatest coaches of all time, sure. and Andy Reid, who's a personal friend of mine. And, you know, Andy does a great job with him and lets him be who he was. I, was, I saw an interview with Patrick the other day, like, that was pretty cool, on the Pat McAfee show where he said, you know, Andy lets me be who I am. You know, he lets me play the game the way I like to play the game. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's kind of what I was saying before, like, Andy's done a good job of letting him be who he is, and he's a, he's a phenomenal player. Your, your last stop in college was at Alabama. Mm -hmm. You saw the machine from inside for two years, yeah. the, what Nick Saban has built there. It's a, it's a, it's a relentless, efficient yeah. machine. Um, obviously, the, the resources and scope aren't here what they are there, but, but just the structure and, yeah. and the, the daily day in, day out. What did you take from uh, Tuscaloosa? Bill? Yeah, I was very grateful to Nick for that opportunity. I mean, he, he was the, I didn't have a job. Yeah. And they were playing in the national championship game against Ohio State, and, and Steve Sarkeesian was going to Texas mm -hmm. after the national championship. And so Nick called, and, and we were able to come to an agreement, and, and I went there. And, and, and I learned so much from Nick about discipline, organization, uh, every day having a theme, uh, being on time, everything running like clockwork. 
you, you know, it's going to take a while to get that type of setup mm -hmm. here relative to getting everybody on board. Uh, practice schedules, recruiting schedules, you know, how he divided up his day. I just learned a lot from just observing him. And obviously, he's the greatest college coach of all time. And I was grateful for that opportunity. And there's some things you can do here relative to what he did there. You can't do yeah. everything. But there are some things that I'll take from my time there, and I'm very grateful to him for giving me that opportunity. Could you understand after two years there why he and Bill are so close? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you can see it. They're very different. They're very different, but they're, they're some strong, they have some strong beliefs and foundational things that are important to winning football games. As you build a structure here, sitting yeah. here on day five, right, there's right. still a, a lot to go. Just how, how do you see the program being built? What do you see some of the foundational structural building blocks? Yeah, about? we've already met. It's a really good, uh, there's some things already in place here. You know, obviously, putting together a coaching staff is mm -hmm. very, very important. We've, we're almost finished with that. I think we're about ready to announce that staff probably mm -hmm. early next week. Um, some guys, people already sure. know, uh, which is fine. You know, I just think it's going to be a really strong staff. Yeah. Then there's then there's a medical staff that's very good here mm -hmm. that we've met with that we're we're getting on the same page with. Then there's a strength staff. Mm -hmm. Craig Fitzgerald is putting together his staff. Then there's an academic staff that's very good. That's mm -hmm. led by Stephen Darville. Who does a good job? Mike Vinu, being the head trainer here, does a great job with the medical end of things. Um, then there's a recruiting staff um, where a guy named Spencer Dickow will run recruiting for us, who's okay. a very sharp, younger guy that, okay. that's, that I think we can put a staff around him mm -hmm. and we'll do a good job. So we've met with all these different people, um, and we're starting to get that that basically organized. And I think by early next week, we'll have a system in place where these people can hit the ground running. But it takes a while. You don't yeah. just jump in and do it in one day. It takes about a couple mm -hmm. weeks to get that system in place, and then we, then we hit the ground running. That's what we're trying to do. How does uh, your NFL experience running a front office inform you when you're putting together that? Like, I don't know if you're going to have a general manager or not, but you mentioned yeah. uh, Spencer and recruiting. Just how, how will that be structured maybe a little different now that you've gone through a, you know, a professional evaluation? Yeah, we, I think like one of the things that I learned at Alabama and even at Ohio State with Ryan Day in the short time I was there two weeks, but I saw the structure of how they did, how they set up their recruiting. Mm -hmm. And I do think there is a general manager type position. Yeah. Whether we call him the GM or not, I don't know yet, but there is a GM, and then there's somebody, hey, this person's in charge of, uh, you know, let's just call it, in, in pro football, it would be the college draft. Yeah. In college football, it would be high school recruiting. Sure. This person's in charge of, in pro football, free agency, the pro side of things. Well, in college football, that's the portal. So we'll have a structure like that, and then we'll have people under underneath that. But I think one of the things uh, that we need to do a good job of here that I learned at Alabama was undergraduates that came in, and we, we you train them. There's plenty of people on this campus that want to be involved in football that we can train to evaluate film and to um, you, you know target guys and identify prospects and so we'll start to fill the recruiting room with with those type of people too 31 sports here yeah. obviously uh, a lot of really successful ones women's lacrosse yeah. jumps out hockey jumps out yeah. uh, you you've had a little bit of a taste of that what, yeah. what's that been like experiencing campus uh, through that prism so the other night I came over and uh, I, the women's lacrosse team was playing UMass in here oh cool and they are unbelievable. They won the they won twenty to eight, I think it was. I met the head coach, who's a highly successful sure. head coach, and done a great job here. So that was a cool experience. And then I went to the hockey game with Colleen. I think it was Friday night, and um, uh, I forget. Oh, they beat UNH, yeah. but they introduced me in between the first and second period, and I I went out on the ice. They had a carpet. Thank God, I would have slipped. But <laughs> and it was just pretty overwhelming the ovation especially from the students you know that's that's what i miss about college football sure. you know the students and their spirit for uh the sports programs here and hopefully we can get the students to every football game and uh, give us a real home field advantage
All right, we'll wrap up with a couple fun things. Who was the most random person you heard from? You get a job like this, high profile, it, with your breadth of career, you've you know been across thousands of interesting different people. Who are some of the random folks you heard from that made you smile? Yeah, I mean, I've heard from a lot of people. People that played for me was okay. probably, you know, um, I got an unbelievable text like the other day from a guy named, this is going to be crazy, but a guy named Jalen Strong who played wide receiver for me in Houston who's oh, yeah. a coach now. Sure. And, yeah. You know, just some of the Arizona things. He, State. Yeah, yeah, just some of the things he learned from me as a oh. as a coach, and that was pretty cool to get that sure. text. I actually got to text him back, but but you know, guys like that, you know, guys that played for me over the years, even the guys at Penn State that played for mm -hmm. me that were that were happy for me to get this job. Sure, I think the connections with guys that I've coached. Obviously, I heard from a lot of different coaches, but the guys that I've actually coached uh, that were happy for me, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Any sense of what Colleen's tailgate setup is going to be like on Shea Field? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Colleen is the master of tailgates, so I'm sure they're going to need to give her a good space out there. I'm sure they'll make room, but she'll have a great tailgate, no doubt about it. Awesome. Well, Bill, thanks so much for Thank your time. You, really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that was that was Bill O'Brien. Uh, we, you know, some 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 laughs. I think it gave a little bit of a window into uh, into his family, into his personality, and. Uh, into what he sees that, uh, that that Boston College can be, Reese. You know, Pete, I think one of the things that you touched on in the interview with him that gets overlooked, because it's been a long time ago, and we've got very uh, short memories in sports, but the remarkable job, and he didn't want to dive into, into the details, and there's certainly no need for us to dive into the details of the situation at Penn State when he took over, but the extraordinary leadership capabilities that it took in that moment at Penn State to make them competitive and mm -hmm. to and to kind of keep the program uh, from completely disintegrating in that mm -hmm. moment um, spoke well uh, for him, I think. And certainly not those types of challenges at Boston College. But look, they just lost a guy that they, in my, unless you know something I don't, that they weren't trying to fire, that maybe he did just want to coach ball, but there were some frustrations around the program that probably exacerbated Jeff Halfley's desire just to go back and design defenses and call plays. So they at least have a guy now who understands that everything's not going to be seashells and balloons at a, you know, at a place like that. And he has, he has a track record of being able to um, thrive regardless of those circumstances. Yes, none of the adversity he's going to face at Boston College from a programmatic standpoint is going to match what he faced in those two seasons at Penn State. That was completely unprecedented and uh, just you know just terrific uh, what he walked into there. So I think just from a from a pure perspective standpoint and a pure leadership standpoint, you know there are challenges at Boston College. We're not naive. If you're if you're if we were going to sit down on some May podcast and rank the ACC jobs one to 17, the BC jobs a lot closer to 17 than it is to one, right? Um, it, there's a teen, there's a teen in there. Um, it's just a matter of what teen. So I really feel like those challenges are modest compared to what he's, he's seen and done. And the NFL, I feel like I've covered a lot of coaches who've gone to the NFL, gotten fired and come back. And we talked about a little bit about this with Matt rule last week, Reese, but you just come back so much more prepared on how to get your team ready week to week for the matchup. And Bill O'Brien has done that more than a hundred times as a head coach in the national football league, another hundred as an assistant coach and a coordinator. Um, 
And I just feel like there is a there's going to be a level of preparation and detail. And I think the thing that can't be overstated is going forward, quarterbacks are going to want to come to Boston College to play for Bill O'Brien. They have a very good one in Thomas Castellanos. He was very productive. There's a lot of talent there. There's a rare wiggle. Um, he's a really intriguing dual threat guy who, because he transferred, is in position to sort of lock in and, and be the quarterback there for a while. But I do think that you are going to, and they, Jeff Halfley quietly did a very nice job in the portal before he left. Um, you got a Treshawn Ward member from Florida State in, in Kansas State. They, uh, they, they upgraded significantly at tight end, at receiver. And he went out and did a, uh, and did a really nice job there. Um, and, and we'll see, you know, it, it'll be very interesting that the schedule is not favorable there. I want to say they go to Florida State to open Labor Day night, maybe. Um, and they also have uh, they also have I think Michigan State at home. They went from the from one of the easiest non conference schedules, Reese, to to a pretty a pretty challenging one. Um, go going forward, it's uh, it's Michigan State at home. I want to say, and then they're at Missouri. So those are those are three of your first four games are in Tallahassee in Columbia. Home against Michigan State, and then non-conference they have Duquesne, which is their FCS game, and then they have Western Kentucky. Who, by the way, you should never schedule Western. Kentucky. Never, and that's never. a compliment to Western Kentucky. Yeah. That's just like, oh, um, and they they lost to Northern Illinois at home to open last season. Another team you should probably never schedule. So, <laughs> um, th then you know things. I, I think for, from there things are a, a little more. Uh, a, a little more modest uh, in in terms of the uh, in, in terms of the schedule, but it's uh, it is going to be a challenge. They're going to have to be ready ready to go because that is a that is as rugged a September as you can have if you're an ACC program. I'm going to request that Adrian not edit that last little piece out of the podcast because I want to see how much your phone blows up from group of five athletic directors saying, "Pete, don't you realize how hard it is <laughs> yes. for us to get these." These teams to pay us and play us, and now you're saying yeah. never schedule us. Yeah. But you make well, you make just a fair don't point win, don't win so sure. much, you know. Like right. that's, that's <laughs> the ultimate compliment if nobody wants to schedule you, right? Like we, you, you've we've talked about it in basketball for years, right? Race the the teams that can't schedule anyone. Well, it's uh, yeah. there's a there's a reason for that, and that reflects positive uh, positive on your program. What one final thing about Bill O'Brien before we move along? What would you say? Everybody is a conglomeration of the various influences that they've had in their lives. And if you look back at the people who Bill has worked for, uh, George O'Leary worked with Ralph Friedgen, certainly Bill Belichick, Nick Saban. Who Just would a you bunch say of softies. Just yeah, exactly. Of light. And, and, it, and that sort of fits in his temperament, too, in some ways. Who would you say has had the greatest influence or who is he most like? In, in your judgment. That's interesting from, uh, from, from chatting with him in the last week and being around him. He goes back to George O'Leary a lot. Um, and Ralph Friedgen, probably again, I, I don't want to say those are the biggest influences. Cause obviously, obviously Bill Belichick, uh, you know, has been a, has been a huge, huge influence on him. But I think in his formative years, when he was growing as a coach, the toughness of George O'Leary and the toughness of Ralph Friedgen, you know, did went a long way in developing Bill O'Brien into the uh, in, into the coach he is. And I think, and we talked about in the interview in in 07, when he decides to leave Duke as the OC to go be a a low level grunt for the Patriots. 
I really feel like that was almost him signing up for graduate school saying, okay, I've learned a bunch. Now I'm going to go bet on myself and learn more. And it's one of the great bets in football history on uh, a coach could do on himself. I remember when, when he was at Penn state, he came to Bristol. Now was hosting sports center one morning, uh, brought his wife and son with him, which you touched on in the interview. And when you see, um, Bill O'Brien, the family man, uh, as opposed to just Bill O'Brien, who has this extensive resume, both as a head coach and other, it, it casts him in a different light. I think BC's in, in tremendous hands. I've got a quick George O'Leary story for you. Oh, please. Um, if, if you like, um, back in the day when uh, David Pollock, Jesse Palmer, and I were doing Thursday night games, you know, UCF was a, was a staple. And we're, we're in Orlando to do a UCF game, and Pollock comes in. And he sits, you know, we sit down for the meeting with George. And at one point, George tells him, if you had signed with me at Georgia Tech, instead of going to Georgia, you'd still be playing. You would have been, you know, you've been an All-American uh, uh, H-back tight end or whatever. You would have been a superstar. And uh, and Pollock came out steaming. I mean, I mean, steaming. And uh he, as athletes tend to do, I think David took it like that you should have played offense instead of playing defense. I said, Dave, he was complimenting you. That was George's way of telling you you were great and he wished he had gotten you. You know, it, not that and he wasn't taking casting aspersions at your vast resume as a defensive player. He was telling you, and, and oh, by the way, David, I'm not saying you should have. Had he chosen to, Pollock, Pollock would have would have been an amazing, amazing uh, tight end H back. He, yeah, you can't believe you can't believe this guy's hands. Anyway, a raw, as a raw I athlete, I've seen David. Oh, and he is an unbelievable raw athlete. Yeah, there was again Gronk's pretty rare air, but he could have been in that like in that you know, yeah. just di the diamondism and, and everything. Yeah. I and if I not, will never underestimate David Pollock's athleticism. No, and, and you know what? And if not, I, I should hasten to point out if not for the injury. Uh, Correct. I think yes. he would have been a, a dynamic uh, defensive player in the NFL and was on his way to doing that too. But yes. uh, we we digress. Um, a couple of a couple of things. Let's hit these quickly because sure. uh, you know I don't I don't know that people get locked in for the administrative changes necessarily. But we have a a commissioner in the Pac-12 with George mm -hmm. Klyavkov is going to to step down at the at the end of the month officially. And then we have a new athletic director at Arizona, uh, which uh, both moves seemed um, uh, not so much a Pac-12 move, but the athletic director move, and you wrote in your article, a little bit curious. Walk us through those and what, what you think they mean for the football programs, first at Arizona and then for the Pac-12's future. So for, for Arizona, uh, Desiree Reed Francois leaves Missouri and, uh, and, and heads to Tucson. And it was a bit of a wow in the industry. Got a lot of calls and texts, uh, last night, this morning too. Just, you know, people, people curious about the, uh, about the reasoning. And I, I think it's twofold, Reese. I, I think one is, uh, you know, the board of curators at Missouri basically created a four person panel. Uh, I forget the specific administrative jargon, but earlier in February, basically, a four-person board oversight committee over the uh, athletic department at Missouri, and it, it, it that clearly played some yeah. type of role in. Role can I, can in I interrupt yeah. you right there? Please. If you got answers about why would you do that? I mean, she I don't know. She'd been pretty successful in, she had. in straightening out their financial situation, and she'd hired 
hired good coaches, right? So yes. why would you do that? Is there any? I'm, I'm not sure. Since Mike Alden left there, Reese, Missouri had Mac Rhodes jump to the Baylor after about a year. Yeah. There were some there were yeah. some extenuating circumstances there. Jim Sterk got fired, and it was a pretty underwhelming tenure. He did hire Eli Drinkwitz, and then uh, you know Desiree Reed Francois leaves after three years. So at a certain point, when you see the trend lines like that, you say. Maybe the problem isn't with the ads. Maybe the mm -hmm, problem is mm -hmm. with the with the structure and how it's run there. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and look at at Arizona. Um, it is it is a financial disaster right now. But if you could want to come in for a fresh start and and build, it's it's a great opportunity, right? It's at rock bottom, and so I really feel like if you aren't if you don't feel welcome where you are, you go to somewhere where they're going to welcome you with open arms and let you. Let you build it back. And uh, Bobby Robbins, the president of Arizona, is a very involved guy. He ran the search himself, which is very rare for a college president. And uh, he he needed a win in this AD search. Uh, he's under fire. The, the school is $177 million in debt. The athletic department, depending on estimates, has been borrowing a lot of money. Um, I think the figure is over $80 million, uh, in the last five, six years. So the the... the Arizona as an institution, Arizona as an athletic department need a course correction. And Bobby Robbins needed someone to come in who's a veteran hand. And Desiree was at UNLV in Missouri for seven years as a head AD. And she'd been at Tennessee, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech. So he, he especially because he was running the search himself, really needed to go find a, a, a capable, experienced AD to go turn things around at Arizona. And if you look at Arizona right now, the financials are awful, but on the field and on the court, you can argue things are as good as they've been in a while. Tommy Lloyd, I think, has 81 wins, the most of any uh, power conference coach through first three years in college basketball history. I, re I read that stat um, yesterday, and they just signed him long term. So Tommy Lloyd is locked in for, for a while, which couldn't which could not be better news for Arizona. Right. And then he's, he's terrific. By he's the way. terrific. Good, he's good excellent. dude. Good dude, and tremendous coach. And he lets them go and play. I mean, they they yes. they go, which yes. more more coaches are doing in college basketball, and it it's uh, it's yes. improved the product. I'm sorry. He wins Please games, and you want to watch them win games. Correct. They're fun <laughs> to watch. Yeah, yes. they won, and they're fun yes. to watch while they're winning. Yes. Yes. In Arizona football, now they have had personnel losses, and uh, there's obviously coaching change to Brent Brennan, but with Fafita and McMillan. There's at least like a hope for Big 12 contention as they as they enter that league. Um, now, I certainly can't tell you they're too deep on their lines and everything right now sitting here in mid-February, but we'll get there. Those are two bedrocks, Reese, that you mm -hmm. want your football program to have. You're going to have one of the best quarterbacks in the league and definitively the best receiver in the league. Uh, he, he's, um, I, I, you know I love that oh, guy. I oh. love, Is he your 2024 that. crush? Could be. He's yeah. certainly he's certainly in the running. Um, one of the how do you say his will, first name, Reese? Give us the Tedaroa. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The um, the one thing I I got a I got a text the other day from our college game day football producer uh, Jim Gaiero, who you know I guess emerged from his long off season slumber and decided to somehow caveman beard in. going. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow stumbled into the college basketball show and he texted me. He said. Could we do dudes of the day, which is uh, a vehicle that we use on game day basketball? Sure. At first, it was a competition, and then uh, upon reflection, we thought, you know what, nobody really cares about the competition among us, so let's just you know do it, but sure. let's use it as a spotlight, you know, mm -hmm. for players you ought to watch today and why. 
you know, instead of, because it was fun for us. I don't know if it was fun for viewers to sit there, you know, like when I took Zach Eady last year and he put up, you know, a total of 56 and all, you know, in all stat categories. And he did the same thing for Seth this year. That was fun for us. I don't think the people at home care, but Jimmy said, you know, could, um, you know, could we do that in football? And I said, maybe let's talk about it. It's a good idea. Yeah, maybe, you know, do it in a different part of the show away from Superdogs, away to spotlight some other games. I can tell you that Tedrow and McMillan will be a dude of the day very early if we choose to go down that path. He's he's certainly he's certainly that. What And the conference that they're leaving now, uh, which I I admit to chuckling with uh, Teresa Gould taking over and the statements coming from uh, Wazoo and Oregon State about the Pac-12 commissioner, I, I guess – I guess legally and precisely speaking, she is, but she's really, it's really a pack two right now. Yes. So what what exactly does this mean for for her and for the the future of of whatever that's going to be called and what it's going to look like uh, once Washington State and Oregon State align the way they see fit and the way they can? Well, to me, uh, naming a commissioner, giving her a multi-year contract and sort of casting things forward Hints that the the Pac-12 does not want to go away, Reese. Right? There's there's obviously been rumblings um, of how and maybe when when buyouts allow it, they could they could take the best of the Mountain West, poach a few other schools, and try to compete with the AAC for that fifth league. Now, this is all speculative right now. This hasn't gone down the road of it. But if you if you notice that uh, the basketball in those two leagues is uh, in the in those two schools, excuse me, is in the WCC. Uh, it is not in the Mountain West. So to me, that's always hinted at a little bit of a divide going forward. Um, w- so would Oregon State and Washington State, with that great Pac-12 brand, you can't argue with the brand, try to recast themselves in the future? And I think by putting a uh, a, a very good commissioner in place to push forward, that that's going to be alive for a while. I don't think you put someone in that role to just to just play out the string here. I think you you have a bigger plan moving forward. And I think that's what, I think that that will come to fruition. That will at least potentially emerge in the next, uh, in, in the next couple of years of, of what will that, what will that look like? They're just not they're They don't, that move to me says they're not content to just fade away. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking right now at mm-hmm. Apple maps and it is six hours and 42 minutes from Corvallis to Pullman. Chains are recommended, by the way, if you're driving that course and put change in your tires so you don't slide off. I'm looking for a place for the conference office. It's a midway point between. So maybe our listeners could. could There's probably like a nice lake resort somewhere. Well, that's what I was looking at. It's right along the, um, it's in the Columbia Basin and right along the, the water there. Hood River seems a little bit uh, too close to Corvallis, but you know maybe we can find a place. Be nice. Open to open to recommendations. Um, yes. Remember Joe Harris, who played a Virginian in the NBA for a long time. Sure. He's yeah. from uh, I think Chelan. Does that ring a bell? In Washington, his dad was a high school coach there, and mm, uh, it was it's a, a I I was I was my my eyes were open to uh, to what a what a what a wonderful tourist destination that is in the summer. So it's uh, that that's just a that's that's the best I can do in like central Washington for you. It, let me let me tell you this: uh, in the final year of Pac-12 basketball, too, not to go too far uh, down that rabbit hole, but Wazoo's balling. Oh, they're good. They're, they're, oh. they're playing. They're playing really, really good basketball right now. So, 
Um, yeah. Maybe chance to get in the tournament, make a, or not a chance they should get. They haven't been in the tournament since what, 08? Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been a while. I think what they won 10 of 11. Or yeah, I think Tony was Bennett was the like last that. coach to, he was. To, get him yeah. to, to get him to the tournament. So Last guy to get there. And they've got, I believe they have Arizona this week. Yeah, they do. Huh? Uh, they've got a, um, they've got the desert road swing with Arizona and then okay. and in Arizona State. Where's game day this week, Reese? For hoops? Game day, Pete, is uh, going off the grid because it's uh, we don't have the rights to Big East games, as you okay. know. Uh, we're going to UConn. Uh, oh, dominant right. program in the sport. Oh, yeah. Uh, they are uh, unanimous number one, which rarely happens these days, but most oh. deserving. They're they're blasting everybody. I mean, oh. Marquette was in yeah. the top four in the country. And look, they ran Marquette ran into a bus. So that happens in basketball. There, mm-hmm. there are a lot of games. I'm not saying that you should sell all of your Marquette stock mm-hmm. now. But I mean, they eviscerated them and oh, they yeah. can do it. They can do it any way you want. I mean, they've had guys injured all year. They they've rarely oh, yeah. been at full strength for UConn, and they're just destroying things. Now, I am concerned about one thing about the trip to stores, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you know Danny Hurley very well. Um, I do. I knew him when Danny, he was a high school coach in Newark. Okay, so you know Danny is superstitious. You know Danny wore the same drawers. Uh, oh yeah, I remember tournament run. You know last year when they won the national. The Pruitt reporter me likes a good underwear storyline. Yeah, so. it's yeah you can't you can't beat it. He you know he he does the sage. He you know there's like uh, somebody wrote a story. Maybe it was our friend Dane O'Neill that there's still like a sweatshirt uh, that someone tossed in the floor someplace like still packaged a new one and he hasn't moved it because they've won. So he just steps around it, steps over it or whatever. And as it turns out, this is our fourth trip to UConn with College Game Day Basketball. The show started, the first ever College oh, wow. Game Day Basketball uh, show was at UConn in 2005. Okay. And UConn, as the host of College Game Day, bagel, 0 for, 0 for 3. Well, this year in college basketball, the home teams don't lose. That, so, that's true. Other, so that, other than Auburn also, this weekend. They, they also, the, a Villanova team that's, you know, not what yeah. it's been at times. So they, no, that, it's an interesting pivot point for, for Villanova. We'll get into hoops more later, but I, I do think like there are a lot of eyes in the industry on what happens next at Villanova. No. I'm not saying anything's going to happen, but certainly um, to be built to where they're built and to struggle like they have is, uh, it, there are a lot of eyes in Philadelphia right now. Well, I, I think I th- Kyle Neptune, I think will be fine. If they'll I do too. be patient, let him, you know, uh, let it go. That's, that's quite an act to follow. You know, and with the and with the way things have changed in the sport, um, you know, just over the last couple of years, you can turn it quickly. Uh, so hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll give him they'll give him time. Well, he's had some time, but hopefully he'll um, he'll have some time to do it. Let, let's finish up with uh, with a little little more football here. What is what has struck you from the last few days? What should we be talking about? In, in college football before we start uh, focusing in on the draft as it gets closer and closer? Well, we're getting, you know, in the middle of sort of the dribs of coaching turnover, right? Like Nate Shieldhouse, mm-hmm. the the really promising young assistant coach from Iowa State, who's the offensive coordinator, just left for the Rams. Uh, Alabama's had trouble keeping staff, which is kind of a very un-Alabama thing. They just filled up uh, – they had a Brian Ellis as tight ends coach, and uh, they went and took Chris Kapilovic, uh from Baylor, and they took uh, Christian Robinson from Baylor. So 
Um, we're sort of in that in that weird the NFL cycle and the college cycle have never been more separate on the calendar. And mm-hmm. when they collide, it just creates sort of a a bit of uh, a, a bit of awkwardness. Um, Georgia State obviously has an opening right now, Reese. Um, for their head coach, Sean Elliott became the fifth sitting head coach to leave for an assistant job. And that doesn't count Matt Entz, who's the head coach mm-hmm. at the best FCS program um, traditionally who went to USC. So, yeah, we're we're at an interesting place in, in college football. I don't think that the the power four or five, however you want to say it, and the uh, and the G5 of – yeah, four is <laughs> – I don't think yeah. that they've ever been further apart right now. And that, that yeah. gap is not going to – that gap is not going to close. And this is just sort of where the financials have dictated and, and what we signed up for. Did you, uh, did you see the trailer for the release of um, the EA Sports game in college football? 25 did you see that trailer? so i have seen a lot of buzz about it this this mm-hmm. may surprise you because i'm uh i'm you know so loose but i don't i don't play a lot of video games now i respect that video game's place in pop culture immensely i want to be very mm-hmm. clear about that um and maybe we can get teddy thamel going uh under you know listening to your dulcet tones uh calling well, no, uh, well, don't 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 release that yeah i cannot confirm or deny that what oh. you said is accurate okay all right. Uh, <laughs> I've hinted enough at it, Pete. You're an intrepid yeah. reporter. Yes. You've read between the lines. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get uh we'll get Teddy moving on the video games. It's tough right now with uh with Miss Rachel, Mickey Mouse, and Baby Shark to work into his his rotation. He just turned two this weekend. So but we're uh, we got him actually playing playing a little bit of soccer, Reese. So um Okay, when you um when you sing the baby shark song to oh. him. Now you watch. Now I know that you're very busy. You stay on the phone constantly. You're not the biggest pop culture guy in the world, but you watched some Ted Lasso, didn't you? Oh yeah, no, I watched all Ted okay. Lasso. Okay, okay, yep. you watched Ted Lasso. So when you sing Baby Shark, even if you say Baby Shark to Teddy in your head, are you singing Jamie Tart? <laughs> I have never thought about that, Jamie but I will tell you, Tart, Tart, Tart. I sing, I sing Baby Shark a lot, Reese. Yeah. <laughs> like a but lot. Now, yes. now, now you're done for. Now you're just going to think yes. about. Uh, no. Jamie Tart and that uh, remarkable accent that and dialect that he affected sort of just made it up from what I read himself. So yeah, that will be in your head from this point forward. So. No, it, it will. Teddy has a lot of books and he has just this one dog-eared baby shark book. And if we hide it, he runs around the house and says, baby shark, baby shark. And we have to read it to him. <laughs> and it is, it is just baby shark, do, 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 et cetera. Just, so. just, watch out, just watch out for the whole Peppa Pig thing. Oh, we've got a little Peppa that. in our life. We've got a little Be Peppa. Be careful, though, because th- did you hear about this? Like Mm-mm. some, I mean, not that y- you and Kate are well-intentioned and intentional parents and excellent parents, so you would never do this. But there are parents who, I'm told, just put their kids like in front of in front of television set and Peppa Pig was very popular. So you had these people, these kids from West Virginia who were speaking with the British accent <laughs> because, because of Peppa Pig. So, yeah. I mean, unless you, you know, I don't know, that would be, I tell you what, Teddy could become quite the linguist from what's going to be uh, hitting his ear in Boston. Yes. Then he gets a little, gets a little Peppa Pig and then maybe you could, you, you could take him on a few, uh, a few road trips to the SEC and he could just, he could just have the best of every world. Yeah. Maybe we'll take him to, we'll take him to Ireland maybe for, uh, uh, there you go. There's another for, one for, yeah, exactly. for the, uh, for the opener coming up. Not you know, in not that distant future, right? We're less than two hundred days, and not too far at all. Not too yeah. far at all. Looking forward to getting it started, my friend. Great job with Bill O'Brien. Uh, we're going to continue doing these 
doing these interviews throughout the offseason as we can get coaches to join us. They've gotten great response on that so far. Continue to do that leading up to the Florida State-Georgia Tech clash in Dublin where college game day will be, and it will be here before you know it. We're also going to start focusing in on the draft even even more. Uh, by the way, Saban's already knee-deep in tape. Oh yeah, I like. Knee-deep. I can only. Yeah. I can only. Maybe waist deep by now. But, yeah. Uh, no. I. Uh, yeah. He's gonna have all the guard takes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, <laughs> and, you know, I think one of the cool things about that is our show on ABC presents the draft uh, intentionally in a different fashion because it is for a it is for a wider audience. So we are telling the stories of the players. We certainly want how they fit into their teams, but. Having Nick working in with that pure football element, oh will, yeah, will just add another layer that I'm, you know, that I'm really excited about. And boy, I really hope I didn't announce that beforehand. But I think that's out there that he's going to uh, be part of our draft. I think when draft. they announced him, that the draft was is draft oh, SEC so. media days and then game day, where yeah. what I recall. So, well, you know what? Every time you negotiate, every time you negotiate. You have to give something back, even if you are as powerful as Nick Saban. So I would say SEC Media Days is the gift back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I haven't been in a number of years. Maybe I maybe I should maybe I should return this year. You should so. come. Four glorious days. All, what else, all of them. What else would the, you be doing in the middle of the summer? All of the media days, man. I tell you, I've you know. I big 12s in Vegas, Reese. I, I know I you're a big to, Vegas guy. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went to um I, I went to I think the last one I went to, I went to Big Ten a few years ago and and sat down with Jim. So that that was fun. That was when he told me the story about the uh the trip to Africa they took with the team and seeing a oh, yeah. lion who had just finished a kill and had, you know, blood all over him and stuff. I think that was right before they uh the year they beat Ohio State the first time. Okay. Right. So there you go. There was some imagery there, I yes. guess, in some ways well, from him. As a faithful media day attendant, Reese, I uh, I am. Uh, yeah, we will look forward to you joining us anywhere on the trail. I, I I may I may do that at some point. We'll see. We'll see what Lee Davis has to say about about that plan. If we if we do that, that might be uh, that that might come into play. But she's she's one thousand percent supportive. She'll understand. But you know. Got to, you got to, you know this, Pete. Uh, you've got to find that right balance. Uh, mm-hmm. Work, Amen. work, life balance. You got to find, got to find that balance there. And what's, what's most important at the moment. Anyway, we have uh, run off the rails into an odd direction here. So there we go. Adrian's probably saying, yeah, I'm getting rid of all of that stuff at the end. But at any rate, uh, great job with Bill O'Brien. Uh, look forward to continuing our conversations, getting closer to the draft. We'll talk some college basketball as the tournament draws closer inside a month now away from Selection Sunday. Thanks for joining us on the College Game Day podcast. We encourage you to download this podcast wherever you prefer to get them or preferably just subscribe. and It'll wind up right there on your device. Talk to you next time.